0: So last Sunday in Indian River, in Michigan, Indian River United Methodist Church voted to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church. And uh, I'm mentioning that for a reason. Disaffili- the disaffiliation process in the United Methodist Church, they've been, they've been going through a split for the last couple of years, probably the, last, probably the last decade. They've been trying to make decisions over whether or not they should update. They're a book of discipline to allow the solemnization of same-sex marriages in the United Methodist denomination. Now, they've had a big, big fight over this, big split. And uh, this year in 2023, the United Methodist, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure what their titles are, but the denomination decided that any church that's in the United Methodist church, in 2023 they can disaffiliate or break fellowship with the the larger United Methodist uh, communion and retain their property without any cost. If their property is paid for, then they can freely go. Now, probably almost 20 years ago, the, the Episcopal Church in the United States, the, the, the uh, I think it's called the, the the Episcopal Church in America, they went through the same thing, but when, those, when their individual congregations left that denomination, the denomination required them to buy their property back from. The, from the denomination. So individual churches, if they, if they disaffiliated from the Anglican communion, they had to buy their property back. And so that caused some churches who'd already paid off their building to have to remortgage their buildings to, get, to, to, buy it, to buy it back. But the United Methodists, in their separation, they decided in 2023 any church that disaffiliates can leave and keep their property no strings attached. They just have to pay a fee, a disaffiliation fee, that's uh, connected to salaries and retirements and that kind of thing. It's called an apportionment which come up to the number of about two hundred and fifty thousand bucks uh, to leave, because the way the Methodist churches work is way different than Baptist churches anyway. <clears throat> so last week they voted to leave the United Methodist Church, and they're going to join the Global Methodist Church, which is a positive move on their part because they're sticking with tradition, the traditional values about marriage and the family. And my friends, we should always we should always applaud that and celebrate it and be happy to see people making the right decisions about those things. While we have disagreements with the Uh, Methodists in general about different theological and ecclesiastical matters, we do find uh, common ground in their desire to stand for what the Bible says about human sexuality, marriage, and that kind of thing, right? So, I bring it up for this reason, is that in order to vote in the disaffiliation process, only people who were registered members of that local church could cast any votes, Now, they only had about 130-odd votes total in that vote. The only reason I know is because I'm friends with the lady who is the the, uh, church administrator down there, and I asked her, and she told me. So they have more people that go there than just 130 people. They have quite a few people that go there. But the only people whose votes mattered was the members. Those people who had signed it, who are registered members, formal members, and so I say that to those of you who are not formal members of our church. You come regular, and we're so glad to have you. You're involved in hundred. are involved in so many ways, but you know, in the in in a church's history, sometimes votes become very important. Votes become very important, and so I want you to think about becoming a a, a formal member of Faith Baptist Church if you're not a member already. Because what's going to happen is there's going to be some votes come up in the future. And you never know what that vote's going to be about. could be voting to take the right stand, and you want to vote to take the right stand, right? could be voting to take the wrong stand, and you definitely want to vote against that, right? So being a part of church, formal church membership, it really does matter. And I wrote an article about it for my blog. And uh, if you can find my blog, I'll give you a dollar next Sunday. (laughs) <laughs> just teasing <laughs> I'll give you a fake dollar <laughs> but I wrote, I wrote a small article about how formal church membership matters for that reason because it, it's important to be a member of a church and, and sometimes we think well it doesn't really matter because you know I get all the benefits anyway but there are, there are issues that come up in a church where we need we need people to be able to vote and uh, our church rules are, are just like the United Methodist Church rules in that regard is In all of our meetings we have here at the church, where we're taking care of business, voting on calling a pastor, dismissing a pastor, electing deacons, etc., all of those things require a congregational vote. But if you're not a formal member of the church, then you, you can't vote, even though you feel like you're such a part. Well, let's be dismissed in prayer. Amen? Thanks for not, thanks for not saying amen real loud. That, was a, that boosted my ego. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 13-15. to 15. Last Sunday, I preached a sermon that was t- entitled, How to Treat Your Pastor. And this week, I'm going to preach a sermon, How to Treat Your Fellow Church People. Now, I was trying to alliterate a little bit. Church people, I had parishioners, and I thought, well, we're not really, we don't really think of ourselves as parishioners, <laughs> but um, church people. Now, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. Here's the reading. Now, we're going to read the second half of verse 13, where it says, be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted to help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This is the word of the Lord, which I shall add his blessing to it. Now, this letter from the Apostle Paul is written to a, to a local church which is sometimes referred to as a visible church, a local visible church. The church was just simply called the church at Thessalonica because in those days there was only Christ- Christian churches. There was, in any town there was only one, and so they're all just, they're all, they all didn't have names like we have, like Faith Baptist Church or Calvary Baptist or Grace Baptist, etc. But it was a recognized group of people known to the Apostle Paul. Now, the definition for what a visible church is, a local church in some locality, is that it is a fellowship of believers who were baptized upon the profession of their faith and who have voluntarily united to serve the Lord together. This is what local churches are. They're assemblies of people who have been born again and who've been baptized, and they've decided to unite together to serve the Lord together. That's what a local church is. The local church is very simple. It's very simple. It can be reproduced anywhere. You don't have to have a building to be a church. You don't have to have uh song books to be a church. You don't have to have screens or land. Church, a church is very, very simple. You could go to some place in America or the world where there are no Christian churches, and you could start a church within a few days. What you do is you find other Christians or you preach the gospel to people and they become Christians. You baptize those people and then that group of people assembles together under the headship of Christ and they can form a church. You can start a church in a kitchen. You can start a church in a garage. You can start a church in a grove. You can start a church like that in a ghetto. You can start it in in a break room at your job. I mean the church is it's so it's an, it's so simple wasn't the lord a genius in how he set up the church you don't need hierarchies and episcopacies and bishops you just need christians who have been born again obviously to be a christian you have got to be born again right who've been baptized and who assemble together so this local church at Thessalonica is meeting together and sometimes the question is does the local church really matter Well, it does matter because the majority of the New Testament is composed of letters written to individual churches. If there wasn't a visible church in Thessalonica, we wouldn't have a letter to the Thessalonican people. But because they were there, they got a letter because they're having some difficulties there. The local church is very, very important. Now, because the local church is important, you and I should also value it. Now, how many of you think America is important? America is in bad shape. (laughs) America is important. And because we value America, because it's important, we value it. It's important to us. I'm really trying super hard in this next upcoming election, election cycle to be apolitical. But it's so stinking difficult. Because I'm so frustrated by the direction of the nation in general, as a whole. Very frustrated by, by the way Michigan goes sometimes. In fact, me and Bob are right in this morning, and, and Bob reminded me, he said, we need to pray for Michigan. <laughs> you know, we get concerned about things politically, because we value the country. If we don't care, then we don't care. So that's an illustration. We care about America. We should also care about our, our local churches, about how the church is. Now, the local church is important, and I hope you have a proper value of it, and it's important to you. Now, because the church is important, we should do all we can to make it good, to make it heavenly. How many of you guys, I say asking too many questions? We all have places we live, right? And we're always trying to make them a little better, aren't we? A little bigger TV, a little softer couch, a little better coffee maker, a little bigger grill. <laughs> a little closer to the water. <laughs> We're always trying to make our places better because they're important to us. And this local fellowship we have here is very important. It's very important to me. I know it's very important to you because you are here. And in, in my friends, it is within the local church that the work of the Lord is done in and through the local church. Now, there are three things we need to face about the local church. First of all, local churches are always composed of people who are imperfect. I had a friend one time, he told me, so I'm just looking for the perfect church. Now, pastors hear this all the time. And we always, and, and, and the standard comeback is well, if you find the perfect church and you join it, it'll cease to be perfect right quick. <laughs> because we're all imperfect people. And I've been around a lot of you guys a lot, doing, doing various things and working together, serving together, and I know you're all imperfect. Right? And you've been around me long enough to know that I, too, am imperfect. We are a congregation of imperfect people. We are a congregation of sinners who've been saved by the grace of God who are trying to do life together to serve the Lord. Now, number two, every Christian can and will behave badly. Every Christian you know is capable of incredible sinfulness. Every Christian you know. Read the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5, it's this fabulous story about Ananias and Sapphira. And that church in Jerusalem was having a big... They, they were, The Holy Spirit was working in a big way, and people were giving big time to their local church. I mean, people were selling stuff and bringing the money and giving it and laying it at the apostles' feet. But Ananias and Sapphira, they saw how that one person named Barnabas sold a piece of property, sold a piece of land, must have had some value to it, and he brought all that money and gave it to the church. And and, and, and he was well-beloved and well-thought-of-for it. But Ananias and Sapphira, they saw him do that, and they said, wow, look how great everybody thinks he is because of the big offering he gave. So they sold a piece of land, but when they got the check in their hand, Ananias said, honey, nobody said we have to give it all. <laughs> so they kept back part of the money, which is nothing wrong with that. My friends, if you make a million bucks this week, if you win the lottery this week, all we want is 10%. <laughs> if you have a good week at the Odawa, we don't mind. <laughs> Just 10%. God does, you don't have to give everything. And so, if you, you get, get your paycheck, you don't have to give it all. You should give something to the Lord. You have to give it all. But Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira, instead of just bringing down what they thought they should give or what they wanted to give, they brought their offering and said, We sold our land for $10,000, and just a just number to use. And here's $10,000. But the truth was, They had sold it for more than $10,000, but they let everybody think that they had given the whole thing. Now, that's a lie. Now, in that early church, it's striking because the Bible says that Ananias, when he brought the offering and gave it to the apostles, and he told them the lie, the Bible says he died. And then his wife came in, and the apostles, I mean, dropped dead in the church house. And then his wife came in, and they said, Sapphira, did, did you sell the land for 10000 and you gave the whole thing? Yes, we did. She died too. And the apostles said this is because they lied to the Holy Ghost. They lied to the Holy Spirit. So you say, were Ananias and Sapphira Christians? Yeah, I think they were. There's more than one illustration of this in the book of Acts of Christians doing bad things. Every Christian you know is capable of some really bad behaviors. Read the Old Testament, you'll get a real real look at that. So, every Christian can and will behave badly. We have to expect this. You have to expect this. You're going to have people in this fellowship who do bad things, do things they shouldn't do. They do sins. Have you ever committed a sin? If you've ever committed a sin, would you say amen? amen. If you've ever committed a sin, if you committed a sin within the last day, would you say amen? amen. Yeah. Have you committed a sin this today already? <laughs> I know I have. I know I have. We're imperfect people. We have to expect. Now, 90% of your sins are right inside your head. But there's a few that get out. <laughs> and you do some things you shouldn't do, right? So, we have to expect that our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are going to behave badly. But we shouldn't condone it. We shouldn't condone it. And I guess, you know, maybe I committed to sin by getting you guys to laugh at that. Because the Bible says in Proverbs that fools make a mock of sin or fools laugh at sin. So maybe I just got you guys to all sin. right here. We have to expect bad behavior. We shouldn't condone it. We can't condone it. We can't condone it in ourselves, although we like it. we like to condone our own sins. We like to give ourselves a lot of liberty, a lot of slack. We shouldn't condone it. We, ex- we have to expect it, but we shouldn't condone it. Now the third thing is we have to realize that every church, every church, can fall into bad practices. Every church can begin to do things that they shouldn't do. You have questions about that? Read the first three chapters, first two chapters, three chapters of Revelation, and you'll see that these seven churches, they all did things they shouldn't do. But the Lord still loves them, still cares for them. So in light of that, because every church can fall into bad practices, we need to be always reforming, always getting better, always correcting, always repenting when we've erred then always returning to the right path. Now, this is a cycle churches go through. Churches are always reforming. The churches always get out of whack. They get out of balance. So they have to always be correcting. We always have to work at keeping the main thing the main thing. There are churches in this great country who, because of the, the political situation in the nation in the last few years, have become grassroots political political. Activist headquarters. And man, I I feel the burden of that because you want to see the country do better politically. I feel the burden of that. But the church of Jesus Christ is not here. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's our purpose. And I want you to know something. I've been preaching the gospel for a long time and just preaching the gospel is enough trouble. What this country needs is the gospel. You know churches are closing all over America. I see these stats all the time. So many hundreds of churches close their doors every week. Why? It's my opinion I'm not going to give you my opinion. This country needs the gospel to be preached more and more and more. And I don't, and I don't mean... And that's what we need in this country is the gospel to be proclaimed everywhere. What we really need is for all of you guys who are Christians who are out there in the community to be preaching the gospel as you go along too. To be sharing the gospel with your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers, To be speaking a word for Christ. To be leaving gospel tracks on the break room table. You know, just slip them out there. So we were, we were at Walmart one time, and we had the kids with us, and ki- kids, are, the kids, the kids are funny. And they had little gospel tracts, and they were putting gospel tracts in the pockets of the clothing in Walmart. <laughs> and there has been a few times in my life when I've been especially zealous to the Lord where I had gospel tracts. I would fold them up and drop them in the beer, beer containers at Walmart. You know, the little, the little 30 packs of beer. You guys know how many beers are in a (laughs) 30-pack? Slipping them in there. We, We should be salting down our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have to always be returning to the right path. Now, here's your sermon. To the church at Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul says these things. He says you need to treat each other a certain way. There's five actions to take in verses 13 and 14. The first thing he says is you should be at peace with one another. Now, that's very straightforward and basically self-explanatory. Be at peace with each other. We should not disrupt the peace of our local fellowship over minor things. We should be willing to disrupt the peace of this church over the gospel, over the authority of Scripture, but in general, if we have the right gospel, we have the right view of the scriptures, we should be working at being at peace with one another. Now, if you want to have conflict, there's potential every Sunday for conflict here. Every Sunday for conflict. At Vacation Bible School, just to give you an example, we had somebody here who was here this morning who backed into somebody's car. And that person, <laughs> Ralph confessed. Ralph <laughs> <laughs> confessed. You know, and Ralph told me, he, 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 the other day we were talking about the day, he said, you know, he said, I can remember a time in my life when I would have just, I would, I would have backed into it and just left. But Ralph didn't. He came inside and he said, who drives that Jeep out there? And, you know, and we told him, and she went out and looked at it. And she said, I can't tell where you hit it. <laughs> it's kind of rugged, ragged anyway. But that, that could have been explosive, couldn't it? Why don't you watch where you're going? What are you, blind and one eye can't see out of the other? Did you get your driver's license from a cereal box? You know, all the stuff that could have happened. We have to work at being at peace with one another. It's foolish to intentionally disrupt the peace of a church. The same for disrupting the peace of a family or the family of others or in your workplace. We should be at peace with one another. Now, my friends, there, peace can be disrupted, but there is a peace which cannot be disrupted. And that's the peace that sinners have with Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about this. I want, I want you to think about whether or not you have peace with God. Now, there's only one way to have peace with God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can can put you at peace with God because he died on the cross for sins. He went to the grave for sins. He rose from the dead to prove that he paid the full price for sins. And he sits in heaven on the heavenly throne as the eternal example of sins. the, The eternal symbol that sin has been paid for and that all who put their faith in him can be saved. That's a peace that cannot be disrupted because if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your peace with God, your relationship with God can never be disrupted, can never be forfeited, can never be lost. So that's a peace that cannot be disrupted, but all the other pieces in your life can be disrupted. I was thinking this morning about myself because this morning I felt especially cantankerous. And Valerie was talking to me, you know, she's telling me different things, you know, things that, you know just going through a list of things, kind of. And I could feel myself getting just wound up. And I went and sat down at the, at the table in the dining room. And I thought, what is wrong with you, Terry? Why are you, why are you getting so mad all of a sudden? I, w- I was really getting, I could, feel, I could feel it starting to seethe for no reason at all. What in the world's going on? Because there's a couple times she's talked to me just about just nothing, nothing, nothing important where I was that close to popping my mouth off. And friends, I, I could have disrupted the peace of my home this morning, right before church. And there ain't, there's nothing harder than trying to preach after you've had a fight with your wife. It's tough. Have you guys ever been driving to church with your significant other, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or your sons or daughter on your way to church and have a throwdown in the car? (laughs) Who's behind that? You think that's the Holy Spirit? Oh, that's the, the devil. He wants to disrupt the peace and get us all out of whack with each other, you know? So we should work at being at peace with one another. That peace is going to take a lot of work, but the peace you have with God, Jesus has done all the work for you. The second thing the apostle says here is that we should admonish the idol. Now, this word admonish means to counsel them to do differently, to advise them to behave in a different way. Now, in the ESV, it says idol, but then it has a footnote that says or disorderly or undisciplined. If you had an NIV or New American Standard Version, your translation might say this. Admonish the idle and disruptive or and unruly. Admonish people who are not behaving like they should behave. Counsel them to do differently. Now, idle is interesting. Idle people do cause problems, don't they? Let's pretend we're on a basketball court, all right? And you have five guys on each team, right? How many of the five guys are supposed to be running around? All five moving around. Now, sometimes when I'm playing basketball, I get accused of clogging the lane. Because when you're on offense, you can only be in the paint for how many seconds? Three seconds, that's all you get. But you know what? I kind of like to build a house down there. I put down a deep foundation, and I just stay there. And somebody will say, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> you know? I mean to get out of the paint. Now, it's okay to do that on offense, right? <laughs> no. But other times, we have to get back on defense, because you, you score at one end, you defend the other end. And 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 as soon as you make a basket, you have to run back down to the other end to defend. Now, running back down to defend is not near as much fun as running down to score. And so sometimes, I'm not going to say who. (laughs) Sometimes I don't want to get back to play defense. Because I built this nice house in the paint. (laughs) And I don't want to move it. And so I just don't run back down there. And there goes my guy who I'm defending. He runs down there. And the whole time he's running, I say, Lord, you know, let him trip.
1: <laughs> let him hit the
0: wall, you know. When I see him start to shoot the basket, I say, Lord, let him miss, you know. Have you ever used the, the holy basketball blow? <sighs> You're hoping you'll blow the ball away. I don't want to get back down there, and so I just stay on one end. I'm idle. And because I'm idle, I cause a problem down there because I'm I'm not down there in my spot. I'm not doing what I should be doing. I'm not playing defense. I'm not stopping the score. Because if I stay back down here, then there's one guy down here, and the defense is playing shorthanded. And my friends, in a Christian church, Idleness can be a real problem in a Christian fellowship because we need everybody to be active serving the Lord in some way through the local church. And if everybody is just sitting on the bench or, or not really involved, it disrupts the whole, the whole business of the church. Don't be idle. This is, of course, the way this word works. The ESV takes the literal, the first meaning, idle, idle. It also means unruly or disorderly. You're, it means that you're getting things out of sync. You're, you're a, cog in the, a cog in the wheel. You're, a, you're, you're causing the gears to not mesh right. The idol. Admonish them to do differently. The third thing is to encourage the faint-hearted. This literally means, and could be translated, build up the spiritless. Because in the church we have people every single Sunday who are here who need encouragement because they are spiritless. They're just defeated. They're lower than a snake's belly in a wagon wheel rut. They think things, they, their life just isn't going the way that they think it should go. They're going through things that are not really their fault. Sometimes people suffer because of bad choices they make. Sometimes we suffer because of bad choices other people make. And sometimes we suffer just because it's our lot in life. Things just happen. And people need to be encouraged. Encouraging people. This church is so sweet to me. There's, there's been a, a couple of Sundays I've, I've come in here, and I, and I don't really think about the fact that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm not my normal self, I'm not being friendly or whatever. And somebody will say, Tara, are you okay? Are you, are you all right? I say, Yeah, I'm all right. Leave me alone. Of course, I'm fine. <laughs> But sometimes you, you need somebody to kind of lift you up. And I see you guys hugging each other and talking to each other. And I know a lot of texting and phone calling goes on during the week. And I think this church does a pretty good job of that. But my friends, we have to be sure we're doing it. We have to be sure we're doing it. Trying to encourage and build up the spiritless. The fourth thing he says is to help the weak. Help those persons who are weak spiritually. And those persons who are weak physically. We need to help one another. We're ministering to each other. Remember, the local church is a body. Now think about your own body for a second. Your, your body has a lot of different parts, doesn't it? You have hands and feet and eyes and ears and hair, etc. You have many different parts. And your body ministers to itself most of the time. Because when you're hungry, what does your hand do? It's more than just putting it in your mouth. Your hands will go to the stove and ugh, scramble some eggs. Make some coffee, you take care of yourself. If you got an owie, aka boo-boo, or a wound, you do something. I remember when I was a kid, I first started shaving and cut myself shaving, and my grandpa, he said, I got just a thing for that. <laughs> Larry knows. He had one of those septic pencils. I'll stop that blood. And then he stuck a hot—it's this chemical. I don't know. It's a, it's a little, it looks like a cigarette. It made it burn, but it fixed. But it stopped the bleeding. I had one of those for a long time. You know, they, we minister to ourselves, and then the church—we're we're a body. We minister to one another, helping each other when we're weak and have hard times, helping each other when we are weak spiritually. Spiritually, there are people in this room right now who have shared with me the things they have gone through in their life, and they're still going to church, they still love the Lord, they're still trying to be faithful, and they have encouraged me and strengthened me by their faithfulness to the Lord in spite of difficulties. The weak spiritually, friends. We shouldn't look down on other Christians in the church who are not as strong as we are spiritually. We should be thankful for them because it gives us a chance to minister to someone, to help someone. The Apostle Paul talks about that very thing in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, where he says, the things that I have suffered, he says, the only reason I can figure out why I've been going through all this suffering is so that through my sufferings, others can be comforted. Others can be helped. Helping those persons who are weak spiritually. The fifth thing, is we should be patient with one another. Patient. I, you know, you ever, you ever heard the, the, the patience prayer? Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. <laughs> right? Amer- America, you know, one of our besetting sins as a country is our country is so great, so successful, so wealthy as a nation that we are all very impatient. If you want, in Oklahoma, before COVID, you remember COVID? Remember how the world was before COVID? It's almost like it didn't exist. In Oklahoma, McDonald's was open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A Big Mac anytime you wanted it. Those beautiful golden fries, anytime you wanted it. McDonald's coffee, always there. Taco Bell was open till 4 a.m. You get up in the night and you got the hankering for a bean burrito with no cheese, extra onions, and red sauce. Run down there and get it. Walmart was open all night. You know, you can run down there and get you those little single servings of Haagen-Dazs ice cream, anytime you want it. Six o'clock in the morning, one o'clock, it didn't matter but because we have so 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 much of this convenience we don't know what it's like to be patient now if you want to buy a couch who has to save money for it nobody you walk in there and get it and leave with it and just pay it out over time we become we're very impatient very impatient some things take a long time to get to figure out now i got these two things i want to say to you about this and i think they're going to be fun you ready You've got to be patient with God. We don't, think, we don't think of it that way, about being patient with God, but you've got to be patient with God because God, He doesn't really work on our time schedule, does He? No, He doesn't. And sometimes God's purposes are only His reason for doing something is only made apparent to us later, if ever. But in the last day, we're going to know. In the last day, it'll all make sense to us. We have to be patient with God because his plans take a while to understand. And we have to be patient with people, with each other. There's that striking reading in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, talking about the Lord's table, where in the authorized version it says, tarry one for another. That's a beautiful reading, isn't it? Tarry one for another. Let's say it together. Tarry one for another. Isn't that a beautiful word? Terry. (laughs) But in the new versions, they messed it up. It says wait. (laughs) Wait one for another. And you know, you read that, you're like, wait for what? Wait for what? Well, the commentators give all kinds of ideas about that. But the the basic idea is to be patient with each other. I'm waiting on you to grow up. Mature to get deeper. You're waiting on me to grow up and mature and get deeper. I'm waiting on you to get saved. <laughs> You're waiting on me to get saved. <laughs> We're waiting on each other. We have to be patient with each other? Now, this, you know, family life provides so many illustrations of this. is that a kid who is eight years old he, he's going to go through a phase of worthlessness between 9 and 14 probably. But when they turn 14, 15, 16, they, they become so valuable to you. They're so, they become essential to you in some ways. It's, when Lacey got her driver's license, I was like, yay. Now I can send her to the store. She can take Matt to school. You, just, they become so, so important to you. But it takes a while. Those little babies and their first newborn, man, they're just demanding, demanding, demanding. But then it takes years before they're really profitable. One commentator says that in uh, Psalm 127, where it says, your children will be like olive trees around your table. Do you know how long it takes an olive tree to reach maturity to produce a sustainable harvest and be dependable, reliable. You know how long it takes an olive tree to do that? The commentators tell us 40 years. You plant an olive tree today, you're going to really be able to depend on it and profit from it 40 years later. Isn't that about the way it is for kids? (laughs) It's about 40. Because, you know, they're getting married, they're having a family, having difficulties. They're trying to make money, etc., And, you know, mom and dad are still helping them out along the way. But when they hit 40, as they start making a decent living, get settled in their career, start having kids, buy a house, etc., It just takes time. It just takes time. Though, let me give you this a bit of encouragement before I pass, before I pass on. <laughs> I'm not passing on, I don't think. <laughs> but before I move ahead, there's one pastor uh, uh, wrote an article, and he said this will be an encouragement to you. He said your kids... Don't expect to get appreciation for what you've done for your kids at 14. He said, you'll get it when, you, when they're 40. Because it's when they're adults themselves and have kids and responsibilities where they begin to understand what you've done for them through the years. It just takes time. It just takes time. We have to be patient with God to understand what he's doing and patient with each other. So many difficulties in a local church can be overcome with patience. Just waiting, not reacting. The Bible says, be slow to anger. Be slow to take offense. Right Now, notice verse 15. We have to say no to vengeance. In the local church, there's going to be all kinds of cause for offenses, but we have to say no to vengeance. Listen to the reading exactly. Verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to be good to one another and to everyone. Exacting vengeance is not good for anyone, especially for the person who is the vengeful person, because the the pleasure of vengeance is short-lived. Short-lived. The sin is a pleasure that always tastes good for a little while. And Proverbs has that great reading that says, uh, Stolen bread is sweet. But afterwards, it turns to gravel in your mouth, right? So you go to Walmart. You rip off a Snicker bar. You get out to the car. You start to eat it, and it's so good. And then knock, knock on the window. Somebody says, you're going to pay for that? You do a crime. I think you caught for it Later. I'm watching this series on Amazon. It's uh, it's called the Great Bank the Great Train Robbery. It's based on a true story in England. These guys, they rob a train. They they thought they were getting a, a million pounds, but they actually wind up with nine point six million pounds. It's more money than they can even comprehend, and the size of the of the of the of the loot is so big it scares them because they realize we have not just stolen something small, we've stolen something significant. And the repercussions of this are going to be phenomenal. And so there they are, you know, counting their money, and man, they're just having a big time, and they they split the money and they take off their separate ways. And the second half of the series is these guys are just living in constant fear they're going to get caught every single day. They have all this money, but they can't really spend it like they want because somebody's going to say, "Where'd you get that money?" They have to have fake names and fake IDs. And you guys ever seen the Magnificent Seven? The original. Now uh, I can't remember the guy's name who's in that. I want to say it's Robert Wagner, and he's living on the run, and he describes what it's like to be wanted and hunted. And he says, "You're paying, you know, fifty dollars for a bowl of beans to live." At the front end, sin seems oh so glorious. Vengeance seems like the right thing to do, but the consequences of it are heavy and severe. This is why our Lord says to us over and over again not to take vengeance on people. When you begin to, do, when you begin to avenge yourself, most of the time, it's going to require you to do something wrong or unethical to be vengeful. Wrong or unethical. You can read that in Luke 9, 54 through 55. Vengeance is sometimes justice, and sometimes vengeance can be injustice. That's why God says that we should not take vengeance. Let Him take vengeance. Because if God takes vengeance, if God exacts vengeance, it's always going to be just. If you a vengeance, it's going to be injustice sometimes. Sometimes you're going to be, sometimes it'll be justice. Sometimes it'll be an injustice. Because we only have limited knowledge of events and situations. Injustice. If you say, well, we're, Romans 12, 17 through 19 tells us we shouldn't take vengeance. And so does 1 Peter 3, 9. And most, I, I saw this this week in Tory's topical textbook, his where he he says that vengeance proceeds from a spiteful heart. Ezekiel 25, 14, 15. A spiteful heart. Now, let's be sure we all know what vengeance is, right? Somebody does you a bad turn, and you do something bad back to them, what is that? That's vengeance. We, <laughs> we tend to be very vengeful. I've been around Christians my whole life, and I know Christians suffer, struggle with vengeance just like everybody else does. Right? Now, folks, I'm going to have to add time to the sermon. Right? <laughs> that sounds vengeful. Whoa. You see, we're sinning right here in the church. <laughs> but we don't what? We expect it. But we don't condone it. (laughs) In verse 15, the last phrase says, seek to do good. Now, this, this phrase is a summary of the earthly ministry, the earthly life of Jesus Christ. He went about doing good. Do good to people. Don't do bad to them. Christians are exhorted over and over to do good towards others. Not to earn our salvation and not to repay God for saving us. We do good to others, even our enemies, so that our behavior can adorn or honor or make more beautiful the doctrine of God our Savior. The Apostle Paul says in Titus 3, verses 8 through 11, he tells Titus in his preaching ministry, he says, he tells him the gospel. And then he says, and you tell them also to, to be careful to maintain good works. To seek other people's good. To seek other people's good. Now I'm going to give you four things in conclusion and we'll be done. These are just review. First, is your church important to you? Does it really matter to you? If it's important to you, you'll want to make it heavenly. You'll want to make it good. You'll care about it. You'll care about your role in it. If it's important to you. The second thing. You have to be aware that Satan can use you to make the church unheavenly. Satan can use you. He can use you. Sometimes I feel like I know Satan has used me to do stuff to, to, you know. You know, being being a pastor is, is is a great is great. I love it. Being a preacher, if you had to be a pastor without preaching, I would say this job stinketh. Preaching is great. Proclaiming, thus saith the Lord, it's great. Um, being a pastor sometimes is not is not quite as fun because you have to you have to suffer with people, cry with people, counsel people. That that part that part is not quite as much fun as the preaching part. Um, so, but Satan, Satan can use preachers too to divide a church People, preachers can stir up trouble right I mean you, 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 have to be, uh, you have to be sensitive sometimes when I get up here running my mouth I can start talking about stuff that's my favorite thing to talk about or get on my, my pet peeve or my hobby horse you know and you got to watch out for that stuff. i got to watch out for it. you got to watch out for it. Satan will use you. Satan will use you. you got to be careful. We're trying to, we're trying to have a wonderful church that serves the Lord and loves him. We've got to be aware this could happen to any of us. We have to be aware of it. And if you're aware of the danger, what do you tend to do? You kind of stay away from it. Aware of the danger. Now, I'm, I've turned four. I'm 45 now. And I hope that's middle age. Right, <clears throat> And I've noticed that I can't eat all the foods I did eat at 30 or even at 20. So when you know a certain food upsets you, what do you do? You kind of avoid it. You're aware of it. So we have to be aware that Satan can use us and, and be on guard against those things. Now, third thing. You have to be honest about your tendency towards vengeance. Because it's as simple as tit for tat kind of stuff. My dad used to get so mad at me and my brother for this stuff, tit for tat. My brother do something to me, I do something right back to him, and you know, it just it'll grow from little stuff to And I get the feeling sometimes, because I've been around churches my whole life, is that every church probably should have six months of preaching about loving one another. (laughs) Because we don't do a real good job of that sometimes. But the reality is we just need to obey what Paul says in Galatians 5. This is what Paul says in Galatians 5.14. This is striking. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This This is big. Loving your neighbor as yourself. It's not loving your neighbor as you think you love or should love. It's loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Think about how about you love yourself, and we should love other people the same way. I love myself a lot. If, I want, if, I, if, if, if myself needs something, I tend to get it. Valerie sometimes will say, what would she buy you for Christmas? I'm like, ah, nothing, because if I want it, I buy it. I don't wait for Christmas. I don't even wait till we have the money. <laughs> right? You just get it. Because I love myself a lot. And that's how I should feel about it. Valerie and Lauren and Mitchell and Leslie and Lacey and Matt. Valerie's mom, <laughs> my parents, my brother, and then you. Loving each other as we love ourselves, cherishing others as we cherish ourselves. Here's what the Apostle Paul he goes on to say this in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another, because you can eat each other alive. Biting and devouring. This is is throughout the New Testament. So in conclusion, let's follow the example of Christ our Lord, who seeks the good of others, speaks the truth with people, loves them, is patient with them. Let's follow Christ's example as members and parts of this church. Let's pray together. <coughs> Excuse me. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that you would help us to take these actions, Lord, to care for other people. Help us as a congregation to keep our keep the main thing the main thing. Help us not to become distracted by these little side issues that come up. Help us to be aware that we could all be used by the Lord, by you, or by Satan. We can get a get an inroads into our life. I pray that you would help us, Lord. If there are If there are people here this morning who are not Christians, I pray that you would touch their heart even now, Lord. That they would feel the effectual call, realizing that they need Jesus and his righteousness. And Lord, I pray that you would bring to our minds who are Christians our sins that we have been committing in some of these areas. And Lord, help us to not just be aware that they're there, or that we have these tendencies, but the Lord we would really turn from them. That they would be as objectionable to us as whatever, whatever we find object, objectionable. Help us to be Christians in name and indeed. I pray these things in Jesus' precious and glorious name. Amen.